Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Well, good day to you. This is Brad Sockle, and you are listening to the Questions About Heaven podcast. And boy, I really appreciate the fact that you've been along with me as we've been answering different questions about heaven and studying the scripture. And I hope you do realize that uh, I avoid any opinion as much as I can. I want to go straight to the Bible so that you might be able to look at the references and study them on your own. And that's really, really uh, what I enjoy most is hearing from the different listeners on this podcast, and those who would view me on different social media, and you're saying, I'm studying the scriptures to see whether these things are so. That's what this is all about. Now, we go to Revelation chapter 7 today. We're looking at Revelation chapter 7, and this is a most important chapter, not so much that it um, exceeds or it is prominent over the rest of the narrative, in Revelation, but we have so much misinformation about this. This is involving the 144,000. And how many times during my online classes have I heard somebody say, well, now, wait a minute. I have heard that there are only 144,000 that are going to heaven, that this is an exclusive number, and this is, you know, all confusing to me. Is it true that everybody else is sent to the earth and there's like a, a group, a specialized group of the uber-righteous, the super-Christian that will get to go to heaven and stay there. I'm just very confused by this, and they've heard people coming to the house and giving them misinformation, and yes, it is misinformation. We want to go to the Bible and let the Bible speak for the Bible, okay? Now, we've talked about this before. If you intend to make the Bible and work it, so that it would say what you wanted to say. That's called eisegesis. You were putting into the study what you want and then customizing the scripture to get your way. But what we do here is exegesis. And ek means out of. We're we're pulling out of the scripture what it says and following that. And sometimes it really excites us and sometimes it really causes us to pause because The depth of the scripture is that, and sometimes it convicts us. But the fact is, we're not saying, okay, we want to look this way and then cram it into the scripture. And that's the danger whenever we're talking about the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7. You're going to see the 144,000 referred to twice in the book of Revelation. You're going to find it in chapter 7 and chapter 14. So what I'm going to do right now is let's read this opening part about this particular group and understand in the times. Now, do understand this now. As we see it in the scripture, here's what's happened to the Christian. The believer in Christ has been taken prior to the events of Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19. You don't see a reference to the church within the God's wrath on the earth. Uh, You don't see reference to individual Christians uh, having gone through here. What you do see, though, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see that Jesus will come and take them. It's called the harpazo. That's the uh, word that is used in the Greek uh, describing the snatching away. 
that we as ambassadors for Christ, as Christians, well, you think about it. Ambassadors are always taken home before the war starts. Whenever we were going to war, like, for example, in World War II, when we're going against the, uh, the enemy, we withdrew all the ambassadors from the embassies around there and brought them home so they would not be in the crossfire of what's going on. In the same way, uh, it tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that God has not appointed us to wrath. Or Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, God has not appointed us to wrath. And it also tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that we will be saved from condemnation. Most importantly, just to remind you as I go into this, that very, very strong verses in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 where it says very clearly that you have been faithful in my word and therefore, the Lord says, I will keep you from the hour of testing which is coming on the world, the hour of trial that will come upon the entire world. So, we see in the scripture that the Christian is not here, the Christian is taken up into heaven, and then this is a seven-year time, Greek word thlipsis, of great pressure upon the world, God showing his sovereignty, his power, his justice in this time. The introduction of the Antichrist will come to uh, allow Satan to have a, uh, just a, a running around on the world during this time. Now, we've been talking about the opening judgments in Revelation chapter 6. Then there's like a parenthesis on what's going on here. And then we see that judgments stop, okay? I'm going to read in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Now, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow in the earth, on the sea, or in any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Well, now the first thing that we would have a skeptic say was, well, you have a globe, right? This shows why the Bible is so antiquated. Four corners of the earth. You're talking about the earth is flat or it's scooped. No, 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 no. Uh, this is a very easy answer to this because in the, the parlance of the day, in the language of the day, as this was written, the mariners of those days would refer to the four corners of the earth. Those that were drawing maps were referring to the four corners easily. It's just saying the four points of the compass, north, east, south, and west. And it's saying this. This is, a, this is a figurative term saying, in every place covering every area on the globe, we have angels standing at strategic positions, and they are putting them here. Uh, it, God is putting them here, and what they're going to do will involve the entire globe on here. And they're doing something here. When we look at this, they're holding back, they're restraining the destructive forces that would come upon there, symbolized by the four winds of the earth. This doesn't necessarily mean that there are four huge hurricanes ripping around the globe, and after one tears through the countryside, another one comes along from another angle. The best thing that I would say in my studies uh, on this, and there are a number of good uh, studies of, uh, involved in this, but the one that I see is whenever I look, I would see that this may involve Revelation chapter 6, when we looked at the first eight verses, on those four horsemen of judgment. The, uh, the white horse of deceit, 
the red horse of warring and the lack of peace, the black horse of famine, and of course the pale horse of death. In all these things, it's affecting the whole world. We saw the, the, uh, the magnitude of the judgments. Well, it could be this is talking about that. It's referring to the judgments are going to stop right now, and so they're being held back and that. Whenever we see this word in the uh, Hebrew, the word for winds, uh, the spirits, ruach is uh, the term in the Hebrew, which would also mean both winds and also spirits. And, you know, when we look at this, we're saying that this could be the spirits of destruction at that time. So however we go, we're seeing something. There's, there's a pause in all of the, the, the judgments, all of the events, all of these things that are going on. And during this happened, continuing the reading, another angel ascends from the east. And he has something. He has the seal of the living God. And I say he because every time we see a reference to angels in the Bible, it's always in the masculine gender. Now they're coming down. And so another angel, a fifth angel comes down. And when he comes down, uh, he is carrying a seal. Now this is interesting because when we see uh, the different re- references to the seal, the first thing I'm thinking of is whenever you have a seal that is presented, it means possession. I think of Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus was buried in the tomb. The Pharisees said, well, now look, we're going to have a problem here, Pilate. You know, they're going to come, they're going to try to steal the body of Christ, and then they're going to make this whole situation even worse. And Pilate says, okay, you have a watch. I'm giving you guards. Uh, And if I have history right, there would be four Roman guards, and they would keep switching every four hours, 24-7, that nothing's going to happen. They're going to place a a stone before here, and then they're going to put a seal on it. If you read in the latter part of the 27th chapter of Matthew, they're going to put an official seal of the governor, and if that cord that was across the stone was broken, that could be a very draconian punishment. It could even be death. So we're not messing around with that seal. It's the possession of Rome. We see these different terms whenever we're looking at possession, too. Uh, If you think of Ezekiel chapter 9, it would talk about when Jerusalem is going to go under judgments, that the righteous are sealed. So seal means possession uh, on here. Well, this is exactly what's being taught here as well. We're going to talk about using this seal. But the destruction is stopping. The direction is do not harm the earth, the sea, or even the trees, the the greenery, it's not even to be touched till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And that doesn't mean that we're talking about a secretive seal, a tattoo that can be hidden under a sleeve or a pant leg. This is in front. This is uh, when you see the visage of somebody, you're looking at their eyes, you're looking at their face, you're looking at their forehead. And so this is saying these ones will be sealed in an obvious way here. And that seal is going to be possession, all right? And we even talk about this. I want you to think about this. Whenever, in in Ephesians, if you go to chapter 1, we've talked a lot about Ephesians chapter 1, how in verse 10 it says, and in uh, the the, the uniting of all the believers under Christ, there will one day be uh, everything under Christ. And all of the answers, we've talked about this many times in our studies in previous podcasts, how it's going to be wonderful and we will all be brought together. Now, just let me say this. 
you know, this is also a very encouraging thing that we keep seeing, like in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, that all the nations and all of the tribes and all of the races, all of the tongues, all of the cultures are brought together under one. There's no racism, there's no bias, no prejudice. They're all brought together in this one wonderful unity. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 also signifies that too. Well, how are you united? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. You have believed, and when you were, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, one more time. The seal is talking about possession. And it's also talking about, in this sense, permanency. You're not going to lose that salvation. We talked about that in, Revel- in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a very, very powerful chapter on when you have made a commitment to Christ, he has made a commitment to you. You've made a promise of your life to him, he's made a promise of his life to you, and Jesus' life is eternal, all right? So we see this now, and when we're looking at this, we are seeing him sealed. We are sealed, Ephesians 1, 30. Oh, I can also tell you, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It reminds us, we're not going to lose this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. You're going to keep that seal, and that is also going to be something that is a a sign of of protection here with these 144,000, okay? Let's continue on. Let's move down into verse 4. Let's get the identification. Are these just super Christians? What are these? It says here, and listen, because this is what so many people will ignore, and I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all of the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And now let's go through the list. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, there's another 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And I've given you the entire list here, so there's no question. Who are these? They are specifically Jewish. They are all of the tribes of the children of Israel. And these are the 144,000. This is letting you know how specific this is. So there is no confusion. And would you believe it? There are people that will even try to confuse something that is very, very clear here. This specifically, you have 12 tribes of 12,000 in there. And And when you go in here and you are seeing this, this is telling you in the listing of these tribes all the way over. So follow me again. You have number one, Judah, number two, Reuben, number three, Gad, number four, Asher, number five, Naphtali, number six, Manasseh, number seven, Simeon, number eight, Levi, number nine, Issachar, number 10, Zebulun, number 11, Joseph, and number 12, Benjamin. Wait a minute, a Bible student says. I seem to remember there was a tribe that was there. Wasn't there a tribe of Dan? And 
where is Dan? That should be because there were half inheritances given to these tribes and, and all. And so Dan was the one that received a full inheritance of blessing and things. Wait, wait a minute. What's happened here? Now, this could be, could be the fact that Dan is the tribe of the Antichrist. It might be uh, on here. In Jeremiah chapter 8, uh, you'll look at verse 16, and it could be, as we see, the land is quaking. From Dan is heard the snorting of his horses. At the sound of the neighing of his valiant steeds, the whole land quakes. They come and devour the land as well as its fullness, the city and its inhabitants. It could be that Dan was the one that is uh, tied in to Revelation uh, when it talks about the four horsemen in Revelation chapter 6. Now, we're not really sure, but that could be there. But the fact is, Dan is not listed among those uh, of these missionaries, too. Now, when you see this, where I'm going on through here, and they're talking about the tribes, all right? When we're talking about these listing of these tribes, these ones here, these could be very clearly laid out. We see it pretty clearly here that these are the children of Israel. These are Jewish missionaries. Some people will try to maybe make this figurative and use other associations, but but follow this. This is very, very important. You're going to see uh, a, a further explanation in Revelation 14 as to who they are. It tells you there in a description that they have been protected uh, during this time. They are made invulnerable by the protection of Lord and uh, the Lord. And Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1 tells us that. Uh, they are going to be walking in the midst of God's wrath. They will meet up with Jesus uh, at his return. They'll be ready for him, but they're not going to be subject to the wrath of God. You'll find that in Revelation chapter 14. Now go down to verse 4. And you're also going to see that they're specifically celibate. They do not have families that they would have to protect. They are here, they are single, and they are moving about separately. Now, I want to remind you, there are 144,000 missionaries sprinkling throughout the, the, the earth. Now, the last time that I had done a study, and it was a year or so ago, that I had tried to find out how many active Bible-believing missionaries are in the world today. And through some sources, uh, you may have some that might waver the number, but I found a consistent number of around 39,000. So you're talking about 39,000 today that are going throughout the world and reaching the different lands. There will be 144,000 at that time in the midst of the, the entire world's punishments going on here to give a clear clear plan. Now, it obviously works. Verse 7 and uh, chapter 7 and verse 9 tells you there will be a response that we'll talk about, but let's keep going here. As it says this, it also reminds us these ones here are very, very faithful. They are uh, beginning, uh, they are very, very true to the word. Uh, Verse 5 tells us that they're very, very uh, uh, dedicated to the cause. And you'll also see this. In verse, uh, verses 4 through 8, you can't be more specific than telling you what is the exact area 
of their location. They are from the tribe, uh, you know, that names the tribes out here. And so you have them very clearly uh, there, there. So there's no question as to the specific identification of these missionaries. And they're going through here, and we find that they are here dedicated to proclaiming the gospel in the midst of all of the hellish uh, uh, behavior of the judgments allowed by God through Satan, and then also the natural occurrences to show God's wrath, and they're doing that here. And so they are moving throughout here. Now, they have a beginning, there's a greater harvest, it says, in chapter uh, 14, in verse 4, we see. It tells you they are the beginning of a greater harvest. Why? Well, in our next podcast, we'll talk about that. They are specifically here giving a specific message. They're in a specific direction. They are specifically protected, and there will be a very specific response on this, and praise the Lord, we'll see that their results are wonderful. Hey, this is Brad. I appreciate you following me through the verse-by-verse walk through the book of Revelation. We've been looking at Revelation chapter 7, and we've just gone through a handful of verses because there's so much to grasp here. I appreciate you very, very much, and I look forward to hearing from you. If you have a question, write me at brad at zulon.org. Zulon, X-U-L-O-N.org, is uh, the institute where I'm teaching online, reaching people around the world, talking about heaven and instructing Bible leaders and all. If you think that you'd like to help us out, boy, you know, we sure could. Uh, just need, we, we really need the prayers of Christians around the world, letting us know through there in our contact that you're praying for us. Uh, if you would like to know some more, look through our website there. And if you feel led to be able to donate to our uh, ministry, we are a 501c3 corporation, and so for your tax purposes, you'd probably want to know that. Thank you so much. This is Brad Zockel with Questions About Heaven. We've been going through Revelation chapter 7. Thanks so much for listening, and Lord willing, we'll meet you in our next podcast. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N dot org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.